0: Here you go. Flushed. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Friday, October 6th, 2023. Flushed, as in Billy Epler has been flushed away in flushing by the New York Mets. Let's catch up. Going about my day, everything's going fine. Figuring out the show, we're gonna do previews because we have a quadruple header in the divisional series starting tomorrow. And incoming from Matthew, hello. Incoming from Matthew Coca. Billy Epler resigns as general manager of the Mets. And I thought, interesting. Why would he resign three days after David Stearns was named president of Baseball Operations as though Billy Epler now realizes he's not the one in charge. When he knew he wasn't gonna be the one in charge, the minute he was hired and Steve Cohn said, by the way, we're still looking for a president of baseball operations. And then he did a press conference during the season where he said, we better play better or we're gonna sell. Oh, and by the way, I'm looking for a president of baseball operations. So David Stearns gets hired, spoiler alert, Billy Epler knew David Stearns was being hired well before you did. Then he's announced, and then three days later, he says, I changed my mind. And he actually gave a statement upon resigning. And I'm reading the statement thinking, this is so bizarre, there's gotta be more to the story. He releases a statement saying, I wanted David to have a clean slate and that meant me stepping down epiphany alert he had the epiphany 72 hours after the announcement that david should have a clean slate didn't have it during the process didn't have it the day before the announcement didn't have it during the season he just had it now it's absolute unadulterated horse hockey He didn't just wake up yesterday and say, you know, I think David would do better. And here's another thing about how front offices work. David Stearns does have a clean slate because he's in charge. And anything Billy Epler wanted to do, he'd have to go through David. And if Billy Epler was not able to convince David that what Billy wanted to do was the right thing or what David wanted to do, then David wouldn't do it. That's a clean slate. Here's what's not a clean slate for David Stearns. Nemo's contract, not a clean slate. Any player signed to a multi-year deal, not a clean slate. Billy Epler's existence does not impact him at all, but we're meant to believe that Billy Epler is taking the high road by saying, I want David to have an empty canvas. So, I'm thinking about the show today, going about my business yesterday, despondent that there's no baseball to watch, having anticipatory exhaustion about watching the Bears and Commanders, though we had the Bears plus six, so I'm gonna watch the game. Then, here comes Matthew Coca with another text telling me that MLB is investigating the New York Mets, and that may be the reason why Billy Epler stepped down. So my head immediately before I ask or look, an investigation by MLB causing someone to step down. The first things that come to my mind, DUI, sexual assault, sexual harassment, international espionage, where you screw around with your international picks and you mess around meaning that you sign guys you shouldn't sign and you're paying people you shouldn't pay. Those were the things in my head. Then I started doing the work to prepare and I read something that made me want to take out the famous reading glasses, the 1.5ers, and assume that I may need the 1.75s or even the dose. Because what it said is that MLB is investigating the improper use of the injured list. What? Let me go back. The injured list has the following function. When a player gets hurt and they're on the major league team, they are put on something called the injured list. On the injured list, you get paid. On the injured list, you are part of the roster. You're allowed 40 people on the roster. That includes 26 people who are dressed to play that day, plus anybody on the 10 or 15 day injured list, not the 60, on the 10 or 15, plus anyone in your minor league system who had to be added to the roster, but has not yet been brought up to be part of the 26. And that equals 40, could equal 39, and you have a spot open, but let's just say it equals 40. When you've got a player who is gonna be hurt for a long time, you put them on the 60-day injured list, and that doesn't count as a roster spot. Though, if you're on the 60-day injured list, you're still getting paid, you're still getting service time, but you're not counted as being on the roster. During the course of the season, there's something called a roster crunch. A roster crunch is when you had a long game or your starter only went an inning and your bullpen's tired, or there's the normal bruises or small injuries that happen during the course of a season and you need to give guys a day off. Then you have to figure out with your general manager, you go after the game and you talk to your manager and you go through what you're gonna do with the roster that particular day, We've gone through this. Then you call the traveling secretary to make sure the guy at AAA can get a flight to get to the big leagues. Then you call the clubhouse manager to make sure that he has a locker ready with a uniform ready. There's a whole process when you call up somebody and when you send somebody down. Sometimes there's players who are not good, but they're not hurt. When that happens, you do something called an injured list break because you want the roster spot. Now, you can call it a phantom injury if you want, you can call it lying if you want, you can call it manipulating if you want, you can call it playing a little bit outside the rules but not so far outside that anyone actually cares because everyone's doing it and we're not hurting anybody. That's when you say he's got a back, he's got a little shoulder soreness, except agents and players don't like when you say shoulder soreness because that could lead to something somebody thinking, wow, does he have a bad shoulder? So you generally do things that you can't, it's your word against theirs, meaning no one can prove that you don't have a migraine, no one can prove that your back doesn't hurt. You can take an MRI and prove that you have a torn ligament or that you have a meniscus sprain or a hamstring small tear, but a back, a headache, soreness. And the reason why you put players on the injured list with phantom injuries is that you want to open up a 26 man roster spot, not a 40 man, a 26 man? The number of teams who do this is 30. The number of times that MLB investigates this is zero. The number of people in the union leadership who know about <clears throat> 4869. We're live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson on a Friday. My voice is a little tired. What the hell was I saying? The number of people in the union who do not know about the phantom use of the injured list, zero. There is no chance that MLB is investigating the Mets over incorrect use of the injured list and such investigation is such a distraction to the organization that Billy Epler said, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to stand in the way. I'm going to resign. Because it went from, I don't want to be a distraction. It went to, I don't want to stand in the way. And then it went to Steve Cohn saying that we accepted Billy's resignation today as he decided it is in everyone's best interest to fully hand over the leadership of baseball ops to David Stearns. Who's writing his statements? You hired David Stearns as your president of baseball operations. You made it very clear he's the one in charge. It doesn't matter that Billy Epler is the GM. It doesn't matter there are a bunch of AGMs or a bunch of heads of player development or scouting. Did Billy Epler think that he hadn't handed over all leadership to David Stearns? Because I don't care. It doesn't matter whether he thought that. It doesn't matter if Billy Eppler went around saying, I'm the GM, go do what I want. Because if you say that to a minor league hitting instructor, they would call, their supervisor would call David Stearns and say, Billy Epler's asking like he's in charge. He's still acting like he's in charge. He's not in charge. He reports to you. David Stearns would call up Billy Eppler and say, Billy, stop doing that. You're not in charge. Whose best interest does he mean when Steve Cohn said it's in everyone's best interest to hand over the leadership? I assume he just means Steve Cohn. I'm the owner and I want David Stearns in charge. But he made it totally clear with both the amount of money David Stearns got, the amount of years he got, and the authority in the flowchart. David Stearns is on top, reporting only to Steve Cohn everybody else is under him. I don't know what could be more clear. So all of these things are happening. MLB hasn't said a word, but there's rumors in the media. There was an article in the New York Post and there's rumors that indeed MLB is going to investigate improper use of the injured list. What do you think they're gonna find? MLB doesn't open an investigation not knowing what it's gonna find. Of course they're gonna find that there are instances of improper use of the injured list. But why would that rise to Billy Epler stepping away? There's gotta be more to this story because it can't be that Billy Epler is so clueless that he just had the realization that he wasn't in charge. It can't be that Steve Cohn is so incompetent that he just realized that keeping Billy Epler while bringing in someone above him when he used to be the one in charge is not a great idea. It can't be that David Stearns went through the process and said, give me my 10 million a year for five years. Oh, I think we should probably get rid of Billy, but wait till I'm here three days. The Mets continue to step on themselves whether it's Buck Showalter going scorched earth and talking about not wanting to play Daniel Vogelback and Billy Epler insisting, whether it's Pete Alonzo being an absolute Boris disciple all of a sudden, it's always something. But for Mets fans, I leave you with this. You have the same chance of getting either Otani or Yamamoto today as you did yesterday. If you actually believe that Billy Epler's relationship with the Japanese teams or the Japanese players, because he was the GM when, uh, the angels, when they got Otani, if you believe that that gave the Mets an advantage because Billy Epler was there, then you may buy a bridge for me. It is absolutely untrue. It is the same likelihood today as it was yesterday. So in conclusion. The Mets finished their season at 75 and 87. Yes, that's right. They ended up winning that game against the Marlins 1-0. That didn't get a lot of attention, but that's pretty significant. The 1-0 game that got suspended when the Marlins scored two in the top of the ninth, and then the Marlins were gonna have to go back to New York if it mattered for playoff seating. It seems like a long time ago because the Marlins are already out. The Cubs were out, never made it, and the Diamondbacks advanced but MLB ruled that as a one-nothing victory for the Mets. They pretended the ninth inning never happened. So all of the, the two runs scored by the Marlins erased and the Mets get the victory. So the Mets finish at 75 and 87. There was a rumor, Coca, that I don't know if you started it. There was a rumor that, uh, no, you told me that it was wrong, that the Mets, by getting that win, all of a sudden their draft position changed. That is not accurate. So whoever told you that, they're wrong. What else can I tell you about the Mets? Flushed. I'm going to move on. It's enough. The Mets will be back in the news soon enough. Thank God. So tomorrow at 1.03 p.m. Eastern, the Rangers and the Orioles start the division series, and it's the first of four games tomorrow. And I want to talk about each of the series and give you certain things that I'm looking at and see if you'll join me in looking at them. Now, if you want real analysis of the division series and full previews, I encourage you to listen to The Levitard Show because Billy and Chris and Tony, they're all on it. They've got the previews. Don't you worry. So I'm just going to give you a few things to look at. Let's start with the Rangers-Orioles. The Rangers' bullpen is terrible. The Rangers' rotation with Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Ivaldi is average to above average. Adding Max Scherzer would be helpful. The Orioles have young players you've never heard of who are better than anyone on the Rangers. Now, Corey Seager makes more money, Marcus Simeon makes more money, but I'll take Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Felix Bautista, Tommy John, uh uh-oh, their bullpen's in trouble in Baltimore. No, they've got Cano, who's better than any reliever on the Rangers. What does that mean for this series? I'm going to predict the winner of every series. It's a wait to see and we're going to revisit it. I went one and three in the wild card. Rangers-Orioles is a fascinating series that many of you may not watch, but I encourage you to because the Orioles are super fun to watch. And you better watch them now because the Rangers are going to win the series. Why do I say that? Because I would take Bruce Bochy over Brandon Hyde any day. To the extent that managers make a difference, however slight it is, Bruce Boci is really, really good at managing his players and keeping them present in the moment where the Orioles, who had a phenomenal season, phenomenal, maybe the best team in the American League during the course of the regular season. That said, this is their time, but their time really is next year because the players are gonna have a year of experience under their belt. there's still gonna be cheap pre-arbitration. So for now, we're taking the Rangers. Then I get to watch the Twins-Astros. The reason I want you to watch the Twins-Astros is I want you to look at what it is to have momentum play against experience. The Twins have momentum, and that's a debate we always have in sports. Which is better, momentum or experience? Then I want you to look at the Twins closer who's going to come in anytime the Twins have a lead or a tie at home, and his name is Duran, and he's so nasty. I was talking to a friend of mine in the, in the game, and we agreed that Duran is the nastiest pitcher left in all of the playoffs. So if you're looking for a guy who throws 101 and has breaking stuff that makes your knees quiver, check out the Twins closer. What I love about the Twins is how excited they are to have won a playoff series. What I love about the Twins is how much they think their momentum is gonna carry them because of Correa into a series win against the Astros. What I love about the Twins is Carlos Correa so badly wants to beat the Astros because he wants to give it to him as a former Astro who went. they went with Pena instead of Correa. You think he didn't notice that Pena won the MVP last year in the playoffs? Of course he did. So Carlos Correa is gonna step into Enron Field tomorrow and he's gonna say, hey guys, watch me. I'm gonna tell you how we're gonna hit Verlander. I'm gonna tell you how we're gonna hit Valdez. He's gonna go through an entire approach and the Twins hitters are gonna get in the box and they're gonna look at Verlander and Valdez in games one and two and they're gonna say, oh shnikes, that's above average stuff without a question. The Astros, been there, done that. They are World Series bound. The Astros will beat the Twins and it's not gonna be particularly close. Then I'm gonna get to watch the best series of the division series, the best matchup, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves. This will come down to two factors. One, offense versus offense, which offense will be the most offensive? Of course, an offense being offensive is bad. That's pejorative. It's offensive, like, "Ugh, you're offending me. Who has the advantage? People are looking back to the Braves, Phillies last year, saying the Phillies beat the Braves. It's going to happen again. This is history repeating itself. The Braves offensive team this year is better than it was last year, by far. The Phillies have the hunger to not just get to the world series but to win the world series they've got the fan base that will make your eyes water if you're from florida but so does atlanta so offense versus offense who will be the most offensive second most important thing for this series is spencer strider and max Fried versus aaron nola and zach wheeler who has the advantage you would think Nola and Wheeler do because of what they did last postseason. And you would think that Freed with his blister and Strider with his mediocre ERA, you'd think it's got to be Nolan Wheeler. Well, Strider owns the Phillies. And that doesn't tend to change when the spotlight gets even hotter. So I give Strider and Freed the advantage over Nolan and Wheeler. I give the Braves offense to be less offensive than the Phillies offense. So we're going with the Braves. And that brings us to the Diamondbacks and Dodgers. That's the last game on Saturday, but not too late. Starts at 9 o'clock Eastern. We'll be over by 11.45 or 12 Eastern. Not bad at all. This series fascinates me because everyone assumes the Dodgers are going to win. The Dodgers are the biggest favorite of any of the four favorites in the division series. I triple dare you to name the Dodgers rotation. Ferris Bueller, nope. Julio Urias, nope. Clayton Kershaw, you're right, game one, great year, still throwing 88. ERA under three, a nice starter A nice middle of the rotation starter, but a number one starter? They got the young guy, don't worry, Miller's gonna be superb. And what about Lance Lynn? What a great pickup. I wouldn't take Kershaw, Lynn, or Miller, any of those three over either Kelly or Gallon, who are two of the three starting pitchers for Arizona, who will get to start four of a possible five games. I wouldn't take any of the Dodgers but they've got two MVP candidates. When you've got Freeman and Betts in your lineup, you are GTG. Well, you may never have heard of anyone in the Diamondbacks lineup, but you should have heard of Carroll. Tommy Pham, we can talk about what he is off the field, but he is a anchor in that lineup on the field. Walker, but Guriel. But let me tell you why the Diamondbacks are gonna win this series. Because I can see a scenario where Gallon and Kelly make Freeman and Betts have a four-day slump. It's a four-day slump. It's not a big thing. In the course of a regular season, you wouldn't even notice it. But in a quick series, if you can get a quick donut for either Freeman or Betts in game one, meaning they go 0 for 4 and 0 for 4, or one of them is 1 for 4 and one is 0 for 4, if you can somehow make one of Betts or Freeman have this mini slump, The Diamondbacks become the better team. So the value in this wager, the value in this prediction, is that too many people are discounting the D-backs. Not me. I made that mistake in the first round, thinking the Brewers would do it. Can't figure out if that was my heart or not. But we are clearly going Diamondbacks. So to review, Diamondbacks, Braves, Astros, Rangers. Those are the picks. Okay, when we come back, we are going to review a movie that has Christy Turlington, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, and Linda Evangelista. And then we're gonna answer one of your questions. One of you asked me about The Levitard Show yesterday as part of a broader question and an interesting topic about Northwestern. And I'm gonna get to that all after the break. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How you doing? Matthew Koch and I come to you every day, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. We'll be back Monday. It's Indigenous Peoples Columbus Day, but we'll be here 8 a.m. live. Go to Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Click the subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Special shout out to Juju, my social media, the Lebitard social media guy. Coca, who does all of our clips cuts everything. We are a small, lean, mean fighting machine, and we appreciate your loyalty. I watch a movie every day. I watched a four-parter, and I didn't move. How's that for a great review? There's a documentary on Apple TV Plus called The Supermodels. If you don't know what a supermodel is, I get it because there are no more supermodels, but there was a time in the George Michael days, in the 1990s, when these women were so powerful, so wealthy, so stunning, so interesting, so smart, so perfect, they were known as supermodels. This documentary goes through what it was to be a supermodel, and Linda Evangelista, if you know who that is, Naomi Campbell, you should know who that is, Obviously, Cindy Crawford. Have you ever seen a Pepsi commercial? Ever seen a Revlon commercial? Ever seen a movie with, what, who? what's her name? Oh, come on, Coca. Uh, Gerber is the last name, and the first name is Kaya, Kia. She's a model in her own right. The daughter of Cindy Crawford. Ed Burns married Christy Turlington, a great filmmaker. But this documentary goes through how these women, start, women started their career, built their career, managed their career, handled their career and dealt with the fact that age never loses. Mother time never loses. That's a mixed metaphor. Is it mother nature and father time? Coca? I don't know what it is, but either way, I was absolutely captured by the back footage of what was going on during this time period that I remember so well. I was fascinated to see them today because I don't see them too often. And I was interested to see what was going on around them and how people reacted to models who in theory, if you're hot, you're dumb, which of course is preposterous. There is zero correlation between outside beauty and inside intelligence, zero. It's not direct, it's not indirect, it's not inverse. It's, you can be very smart and very beautiful. You can be very dumb and very beautiful. You can be very ugly and very smart and very ugly and very dumb. It doesn't matter. It's totally unrelated. But these four women who were all so beautiful and all took charge of their own lives and careers, dealing with the minefield that is being a supermodel. And it's not that I want you to feel sorry for them or that they got so much money and they didn't deserve it. I want you to watch it and realize the empowerment. And I don't like talking about player empowerment because it bothers me, but I love this type of empowerment controlling your career, managing your career, figuring out how you can monetize and actualize who you are, use your strengths. It's so important to know what your strengths are. All right, Coca, play me some music, please. You know what I want? (laughs) I wanna talk to Samson. So you wanna talk to Samson. Hello. I'm David Sampson. If you've never seen the movie Half-Baked, and according to our numbers from last week, there are 6.2% of you brand new to the show in the last week or so. So Half-Baked is a movie that is way better if you are approximately 39 69ths baked while you watch it. There's a character named Sampson and everyone wants to talk to him. So go to davidsampsonpodcast.com, ask me a question. I try to answer as many as I can on the phone by email and I try to get some into the show or go to Twitter at David P. Samson. Again, so many people are reaching out. Thank you, hard to answer everyone. Reminder, don't forget to get your merch, DavidSamsonPodcast.com. Eventually, Levitard merch will be available again. I promise, I'm on it. Just give me a minute. Gotta clean up a mess that was created, but I'm gonna do that. Dear David, I like that, like it's a letter. Dear David, to whom it may concern, I cannot believe Lebetard and how they treat you on that show. Why do you do that? And what about the Northwestern lawsuit? Well, that's a non sequitur. Will you sue Levitard if he fires you? All right. Let me just quickly address what happened yesterday on Levitard. Okay, moving on. Look for a new episode of The Sporting Class. It will be released today on the Levitard channel and on DraftKings Network. John Skipper, Pablo Torre and I, with Matt Coca producing, we did a show. You will enjoy it very, very much. We go into some serious conversations about some of the business issues facing uh, the sports world at the moment. And of course we had some laughs. But in terms of what happened yesterday on the Levitard show, I have not one thing to add. Am I gonna sue Levitard if he fires me? it's more likely I would thank him. But let's talk about the Northwestern lawsuit because I think that's what you really wanted me to talk about because that's big news. Go back to previous episodes and I talked a lot about Northwestern, a school where my middle daughter attended, a school that I love, a school where we had the former provost, who's now the president of Rutgers on a Samson sit down Very, very fond of Northwestern and they have been under it since this whole hazing scandal and the firing of Pat Fitzgerald. And we told you that there's a negotiation going on between Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern because he's owed so much money. Similar to what's going on with Mel Tucker and Michigan State University, all the lawyer letters back and forth, all the lawsuits that are filed back and forth, they're just about what to do until there's a settlement, until there can be agreement as to how much of the current contract the employee is going to get. So the employer has to allege termination for cause, the employee has to allege there was no cause, you terminated me without cause, therefore pay me my money. That is the bit in the ask in every one of these scenarios. So Pat Fitzgerald had no other choice and properly and correctly decided he was going to sue the university and the school president, a guy named Michael Schill, alleging, what you'd think, breach of contract. Meaning, I had a contract to coach the team, you fired me, which is your right, but then you gotta pay me. And if you're firing me thinking that I deserve not to get paid, you better prove it, and you didn't prove it. This is a good lawsuit until you read the details, and until the lawyers started speaking up. A guy named Dan Webb, who I don't know, is the lawyer for for Fitzgerald. And he decided that it would be in his best interest to talk. A public service announcement to all lawyers. We think it's great as lawyers, when you get a big client, when you get a big case, when you have the ability to talk to the media, it gives you attention. It means that other people will hire you. You can make a whole career out of getting celebrity clients out of people who are suing in the termination for cause space because you got Pat Fitzgerald. I get it. I get self-promotion. Believe me, DavidSamsonPodcast.com. I'm all in on self-promotion. However, when you are involved in a lawsuit You have to make sure that the self-promotion that you are doing does not in any way hurt the lawsuit or the opportunity you have to settle that lawsuit and get the most money you can get for your client. Because here's a little piece of advice. Secondly, it's really good when you get a client, but if you don't do well by the client, then the next guy doesn't care that you're public, doesn't care that you're famous, because truthfully, when people hire a lawyer, they don't do it because they want you to be in front of the microphone. They do it because they want money. So you have to win. You have to overperform, underpromise. under promise. So this guy, Dan Webb, again, don't know him. He, we may have gone to the same law school, no idea. He said that Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern reached, quote, an oral agreement before the two-week suspension was announced that the coach would face no further discipline from the university. As a reminder, what took place is that he was suspended, Pat Fitzgerald, for findings regarding hazing, but exonerated saying he didn't really know what was happening, but we're gonna suspend him because maybe he should have known. But two weeks and that's it. Then the school newspaper at Northwestern and members of the media turned the heat up. They released a little more information where the hazing maybe was a little worse than what Northwestern was admitting to. And Northwestern said, "Uh uh-oh, we have no choice but to fire Pat Fitzgerald. It is true that these schools and these organizations keep doing this. And it is a bad look. They did it with Mel Tucker. They did it with Pat Fitzgerald. It happens in the pros where you suspend a guy, then you're like, oh my God, let's see what the PR winds are blowing. And then the pebble becomes a big rock, which becomes part of an avalanche. And then you have to become reactive to the public and to social media, not ideal. So it is possible that there was a discussion during the two week suspension prior to it being given out, where Pat Fitzgerald was told, hey, this is gonna cover it, we're gonna be just fine, don't you worry. One of the first things you learn in law school is about oral contracts and oral agreements and when they're enforceable and when they're not. It would appear to me that there needs to be some reminder of 1L contracts class. To base your entire lawsuit on the fact that you were promised. Excuse me. I'm gonna take a little drink here, Coca, is that okay? Can we take a break? I mean, we don't have to take a real break, I'm just gonna take a little drink. I'm all worked up about this. Maybe because there's nine minutes left until lover boy time. Everybody's working for the... All right, Coca. Pat Fitzgerald suing Northwestern for 130. Oh, we're talking about Pat Fitzgerald. We're answering the question, thank you. When the athletic director and the president of the university sat down with Pat Fitzgerald and went through the two-week suspension, and they thought they were gonna get away with that, and then they realized they couldn't get away with that, that in no way stops them from changing the punishment. If there had been a written agreement that there was a two-week punishment and that that's all there was gonna be, that still wouldn't be enough because in theory, in that agreement, it would say, given what we know now, unless something changes, unless we are learning or are taught new information. Courts have the ability to stop something in its tracks. When you read something about being with prejudice, without prejudice, That's really a concept of, can this be reopened ever again? And I don't mean double jeopardy on the criminal side, I mean on the civil side. An oral agreement where you are told that you're being suspended for two weeks, there's no prejudice involved with or without. There's no guarantee that that's all it's gonna be. But then we get some more quotes. Northwestern releases a statement that says, as head coach of the football program for 17 years, Pat Fitzgerald was responsible for the conduct of the program. True, not helping us so far. He had the responsibility to know that hazing was occurring and to stop it, and he failed to do so. All right, interesting. But he didn't know, but he has the responsibility to know. Hmm. What if it's true that someone doesn't know something and that their argument is, how could I know? I'm the CEO of a company. I don't know what goes on 20 levels below me, but it's your responsibility to take responsibility for the actions of all your employees. How many times do CEOs, yes, they get paid a lot of money. How many times are CEOs forced to step aside for things that happen that they didn't know about, but they should have known about, or even if there was no way for them to know about, it's still their responsibility to take the fall for it, along with the people who did it, of course. I am very concerned about the precedent of a university taking a step where they say it is your job to know or it's your job to ought to have known. But then they say that he is very, very involved with his players. He absolutely is a stalwart, a fixture at Northwestern. That was their whole point of having Pat Fitzgerald. We're not talking about the CEO of McDonald's wondering why a hamburger was undercooked in a franchise in Skokie. We're talking about Pat Fitzgerald being a part of something happening in his clubhouse. For a university to even proffer an argument that it's known or should have known is absurd. Of course he knew. How does this end? This doesn't end at trial. This ends with a settlement, because both sides realize that they don't have a great leg to stand on. Pat Fitzgerald knows that an oral agreement is meaningless. Northwestern knows that there is not one shred of proof that he actually knew, even though he did. Therefore, you settle. You don't wanna bring your school into further embarrassment, further spotlight. You wanna move on. Fitzgerald wants to get paid. He's not trying to clear his name. He knows he can't clear his name. He's totally screwed in that regard. So that's what'll happen with the Northwestern lawsuit. I promise. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. Did you take the Bears plus six or were you too scared? Do we have clips, Coca? Can you put up a clip when they showed Josh Harris during the game? His team was down like 27 to three and Josh Harris looked like a third grader having just seen his first Got Milk commercial with Cindy Crawford. Walking around the suite, whistling Dixie out of his keister, so happy. I guess that's new owneritis when you're like, hey, I paid $6 billion, I got the best seat in the house. My team is awesome, they're two and two. My team started off great, they were two and zero, oh, lost two in a row. I got to worry about Magic Johnson sending a tweet that we had no intensity, which was ridiculous. Anytime you're losing and not playing well, it looks like you have no energy, no intensity. Magic should know that. But I don't like the look of an owner. I was always very clear when our team was being blown out. I was not sitting in the stands laughing. Either I'd go to the box, and if I was laughing at something, I would do it away from the cameras. But I want to look like I'm serious, like this matters. And even one baseball game. There he is. You got it, Coca. If you're watching live right now or on YouTube, nothing personal David Samson. I mean, that's a screenshot. If we had video, listen, if we had any possible support from any of the great control rooms that Metal Arc has, which we don't, but if we did, then we could have this three second clip which shows him being giddy. All right, thank you for that, Coca. Anyway, the Bears crushed him. I assume that's a low point. For Josh Harris as owner of the Commanders, he just isn't saying that. So we are 137 and 142. Nothing tonight, but I'm focused on Saturday and Sunday. So pay attention to these plays. Justin Verlander is going for the Astros against the Twins. We're taking the Astros in that game. Verlander and the Astros over the Twins. That's tomorrow. Sunday, a lot of football and two baseball games as well. Denver's playing the Jets. Sean Payton is coming off that fantastic victory. Amazing how great they played. Oh my God, they're terrible. Luckily, they're playing the Jets. Coming off, Zach Wilson outplaying Mahomes. So this is perfect. Denver's only a two and a half point favorite over the Jets. They're gonna crush them. The Jets are not good. Aaron Rodgers won't be there. Taylor Swift won't be there. Denver, two and a half over the Jets. But we're also going to do a money line parlay because we need to make some money. We're 137 and 142, down money for the year. It's already October. We're going to be fine. But I'm taking the Lions and the Bengals in a money line parlay. You got that, DraftKings? This segment brought to you by, brought to you by Lions and Bengals, money line parlay. Denver two and a half over the Jets that Sunday. Verlander and the Astros over the Twins that Saturday. I wanna close with a few moments about your old friend, Tom Brady. Came out yesterday that the NFL has not yet approved Tom Brady's minority stake in the Oakland slash Los Angeles slash Las Vegas Raiders. And what came out is that Mark Davis, the owner of the Oakland, LA, Las Vegas Raiders, let Tom Brady buy somewhere between 5 and 10% of the team at a major discount. Tom Brady may be rich, but he's not able to buy a team. Just like Derek Jeter may be rich, especially with all his commercials, he needs people with billions behind him. So Tom Brady wants to become a part of the Raiders' ownership. NFL wants him to be part of an ownership. Mark Davids wants him to be part of an ownership. But here's what you can't do. You can't give it away. Tom Brady getting 5 to 10% of a team for putting up money that would warrant him getting 1% of a team, that's not going to work. And the reason the NFL is not approving that yet is they cannot have any sort of precedent where any player or any celebrity or any anyone is getting quote unquote below market rates. The object of the NFL game is to increase the value of the assets, to keep it going above and above the 6.05 billion that Josh Harris paid for the commanders and to have an enterprise value worth more than that when people buy limited partner shares. So if you buy 10% of a team and you give $600 million for that, that means that your team is worth $6 billion. And what you're trying to do is get the next team to have a valuation of $10 billion. So if the Cowboys sell 10%, you want someone to pay a billion dollars for that 10%. You don't want to allow discounts. But that is as opposed to the strong desire to keep Tom Brady involved. And I don't mean as a Fox commentator. And I certainly don't mean as a player. So what do you do? You can do it in terms of profit participation where you give a person a percentage of the team, but they don't have to fund it upfront and they get a percentage of profits that are on an operating basis and a percentage of the monies received when the team sells. The benefit of that for a person is they don't have to participate in capital calls if the team loses money. They only get to participate in upside. There's some tax issues to deal with, but that's a very common way to do it. And that's only one way. There are about 10 ways that the deal between Brady and the Raiders can be structured so that the NFL can say that the valuation of the Raiders is X and Tom Brady's percentage reflects that valuation. Right now, they are not there they're going to get there. So for everyone reading about Tom Brady and whether or not he is going to buy a stake in the Raiders, wait to see. Yes, Tom Brady will get a stake in the Raiders. It will be approved by the NFL. It may not happen at their next meeting, but this deal will happen. Wait to see, that's official. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back Monday live, 8 a.m. I appreciate all the time you give me. I do not take it for granted. Your loyalty is appreciated and we're gonna keep going. It's just business. This is Nothing Personal. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day,